But also it dawned on me if everyone who ever had this thought dropped out of the industry, the industry will never change. Yeah. And so I, I was like, you know what? I'm I'm gonna be one of, because I know I'm not the one, but one of the many people fighting to change this perception of the industry and this lack of representation and visibility of the industry. Welcome to Replay, the show that invites you to join us at the game table. I'm your host, Clara Mount. On Replay, we're building a more inclusive community by creating a space for underrepresented gamers and their allies to share their voice. We'll tell stories about our experiences and provide new perspectives that challenge our community to think differently about who we are and what we do. Replay is a Victor Media Group original. You can find episodes of this and all other Victor Media Group shows on our website at victormediagroup.co. And if you like what you're hearing, subscribe and connect with us on your favorite social media platform. Welcome to Replay. Today's guest is Gerari de Jesus. He's got four years of experience working in the video game industry at companies like Universal, EA, Scopely, and in his current role, um, he's a technical designer at LED Games. He also holds a master's in game design in the production side of things from the Florida Interactive Entertainment Academy, or FIA, over at the University of Central Florida. But he's taken a pretty non-traditional route into the industry, and we're going to talk some more about that later. Um, welcome to Replay, Gerari. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me, Clara. I'm so excited to have you on. Um, so my first segment here is always just kind of bringing us together over what we love, which is games, right? So I'm going to kick things off. Uh, what is the number one reason, in your opinion, that people should care about games? Oh, wow. Okay. Um, for me, I've always thought of games as just a really immersive storytelling medium. They're they're a way that you can generate empathy with experiences in, in a manner that film can't. The agency you have as a player allows you to experience decisions that you would never probably deal with in real life. Uh, one of my favorite tales of this is in Rust when char in the, the character you create in Rust is auto-generated for you. And so uh, people were experiencing racism for the first time because their character was of a different race than what they are. And yeah. uh, that level of being able to experience something outside your, a story and a world outside of your own perception is what makes games such an amazing medium and people should really immerse themselves in it more. Yeah, I love that. Uh, what was like, how did you first get into games or gaming? I wish I could answer that question, but I think I've been doing this my whole life. I, my youngest <laughs> memories, uh, you know, I remember when playing Duck Hunt on the ah, NES yes! uh, at my grandfather's house, just pew, pew, pew in the ducks and mm -hmm. thinking this was the coolest thing ever. Um, and I've been doing it the rest of my life. I just, I've been hooked. Uh, my mom, of course, was a very uh, old school, traditional parent and wanted me to go outside um, and play more. So, you know, we had to negotiate, hey, if I get good grades, let me play video games a little more. Little did she know it was going to come in handy. <laughs> You're like, this was actually all preparing me for my future life path. 
done a done very dramatic backstory you know et cetera, et cetera. so so i think it's really funny that you said negotiated because i've heard that now multiple times from people that like their parents didn't really want them to play games and uh especially video games and wanted them to like go outside and be children and they were like no all of my friends live in this world like <laughs> yeah i i think uh older parents uh you know if you were born in like the the late 80s early 90s even early 2000s parents of that generation didn't really grow up on games the way we have and so they mm -hmm. didn't see the value in playing games uh, and you know there was a lot of media hoopla at the time about how games rot your brain and make you violent and yada 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 all oh, stuff yeah. that's been that's been disproven by this point um in fact it's quite the opposite video games enhance your critical thinking skills uh games like legend of zelda and the mm -hmm. lot that challenge you with puzzles actually make you smarter um and so now that i think parents are our generation is growing up and having kids i think we have a much different perspective on our relationship with games that's why you're seeing a lot of younger kids playing fortnite and trying to be a professional fortnite player instead of a professional yeah. football player right which i think is super cool i think it's adorable also it's a whole lot safer to sit in a chair than to you know get full-on slammed by you know 300 pound muscle men like i don't <laughs> it's a great way to die but <laughs> 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 so, i have now killed gerari <laughs> he's flatlined on my show it's 300 fine. pounds of humor <laughs> so so what so starting so you started from things like duck hunt right those very like simplistic nes games that we you know that were from like the 80s that we all had access to as you know, in our, our generation as kids, what, um, what are your favorite kind of games to play now? And why are those, uh, why are those I have, such a, I have such a diverse, like array of games I enjoy. Like right now I'm playing, replaying through Star Wars Fallen Order because that game was just a hell of a lot of fun. It's a Dark Souls Metroidvania style <laughs> Star Wars game, which is the coolest thing ever. That was um, a series of words that you said. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, say Jargon. Say that again. You said it was Metroid Castlevania. So Metroidvania is a term for games that are like where you unlock powers that can go back and unlock areas that you didn't have access to in the beginning of the game. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then it has a lot of similar mechanics from Dark Souls, such as respawning enemies whenever you rest at a meditation point in that game, bonfires and Dark Souls, things that like that. Sense. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. But ignoring all of that, I get to hack things with a double-sided lightsaber and then forceful people and and eat them off ledges. That's what I'm here for. So you're a dark side. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> I'm not. I'm only eating the stormtroopers. They they shot me first. Uh, did they hit you though? Anyway. <laughs> so what what attracts you to to like those kinds of games that you play? Yeah, games like that I really enjoy, uh, you know, just for the kind of pulse pounding action, get me really engaged, get me out of my head, make me focus on something that isn't the rest of the world going on around me. Mm. Uh, and similarly, I love narrative heavy games for the same reason. Um, if you, anyone who knows me can tell you my favorite game of all time is Persona 5. Mm. Um, and that I, I get lost in that world. I get lost in the characters. Uh, you know, it's, it's just so much fun to like you know be immersed in that story for a little bit um and then i'm also into games like let's see undertale and also 
the game I will brag to anyone, uh, you know, whenever I'm around kids and they, someone says they want to play Smash Brothers, I will play with them. And then the minute they start talking <laughs> shit, I have to ex- educate them. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> on the proper ways to play Smash Brothers. Uh, but no, well, I, I love Super Smash Brothers. It's one of my favorite games of all time. So it's it's the games that, like you said, pull you out of the world that you're in. So you can like really lose yourself in these mm-hmm. other settings or in the story, or there's something about it that like pulls you in and immerses you. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. A lot of the games I like are very similar, I, you know. Yeah, or games that let me beat up on small children, apparently. So that just makes you a terrible person. That's fine. So, what it's are educational. video games? What are video games if not to allow you to be a terrible person in a safe environment where you don't actually hurt anyone? <laughs> Put that on a bumper sticker. Anyway, um, <laughs> so so tell me about a gaming experience um, that was really like personally significant to you and um, why? Just like, tell me that story. Sure. Um, I think this, you know, I mentioned Persona 5 already, but uh, the game had a re-release in the form of Persona 5 Royale Mm -hmm. right at the start of the pandemic. And for context, at this point in my life, I was working on casino gaming for a company I didn't really want to work for, but my contract with EA had ended and I needed a job. I was living Mm -hmm. alone in Chicago. It's winter. I don't know anyone in the city. I was depressed. And then Royale came out and I went and played the game and I felt like I had a social life for a little bit. And this is right at the start of the pandemic too. So Mm -hmm. like it gave me an out from being stuck at home all day to like engage with people. And likewise, um, you know, I picked up an MMO, Elder Scrolls Online, mm-hmm. uh, when I was really depressed, and I made friends, and I we had a Discord server, and I could talk to people, um, and so the other, I guess the other thing I should say as my favorite games are social games, because they let me engage with the greater world in a way that is safe and not terrifying. <laughs> Yeah, so you you picked up Persona uh, Persona Five Royale, you said, and then like ESO. So what what impact did that have on you? You said you were really depressed. Yeah, it made my world just a little brighter at the time. You know, uh, ESO in particular, it gave me a way to have friends, and I, I sunk hours into that game. I I don't even think the game is particularly great, but having a community was wonderful, mm-hmm. and that kept me coming back. Likewise, uh, you know, I think they're called parasocial relationships as I was playing through Persona 5, you know, I'm forming bonds with characters that aren't real, um, mm-hmm. quite literally, because that's the mechanic in the game where you form bonds with people. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I felt like I was getting invested in this, watching this drama unfold, and it was mm-hmm. fantastic. Um, and so having that that social, that narrative and social engagement has been really impactful and when I played Royale, this is really silly. I decided to learn Japanese because I wanted to make that kind of game in the future. That's really cool. What? Okay, so what? What do you mean that kind of game? I, I want to make a Persona game that gave that does for someone what that game did for me. Oh, like a like a pay it forward. Mm-hmm. That's really beautiful. So what does gaming mean to you, um, like an emotional sense? In an emotional sense. Uh, wow. Okay. For, I think when I, when I think of like 
how gaming has impacted my life um, and and what I get out of it. The, the word that comes to mind for what it means to me is freedom. It's a form of self-expression. It's creativity. It's all the things I highly value delivered in an experience that allows me to be free. Uh, and in fact, I think the more I think about it, the games I tend to resent tend to be heavily linear um, or at the mm. very least restrict the agency I have as a player. Gotcha. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense, uh, especially if you're using it as a form of escapism. Like to me, that's really relatable because one of the things that's frustrating about reality is not feeling like you have agency and control over situations. And exactly, you know, having that freedom in the game world is huge. I, I love that. That resonates. <laughs> um, Jari, I'm so glad that I got to learn these things about you and um, hear about how you've literally been playing since you were in the womb apparently so we're <laughs> we're gonna take a, a quick commercial break and when we come back we're gonna talk about um getting into the video game industry and some of the challenges there especially for minorities so stay tuned hey friends i hope you've been getting some great stuff out of these episodes if you like what you've heard so far please check out our merch shop over at victormediagroup.co Every purchase supports me personally, so I would love it if you cover your shit in my stickers. <laughs> Remember, you can nab a replay merch over at victormediagroup.co. And once again, thanks so much for joining us at the game table. Welcome back to Replay. We're here with Gerari De Jesus, technical designer at Elodie Games. And today we're talking about the experiences of minorities in the video game industry, um, in particular about getting into the industry. And later on, we're gonna talk more about like advancement and promotion inside the industry. Uh, so Gerari, um, I, I know you had a non-traditional route into the video game industry. So can you just talk about that? Like what path did you take? Sure. Um... So my background coming out of high school, I wanted to be a journalist of all things. Um, and I couldn't get into any journalism schools because grades and whatnot, you know, not, mm -hmm. not, not being a perfect student or whatever. And I was taking a social science and they put me in anthropology. Ended hmm. up falling in love with it. And that's what my bachelor's is in. Uh, I have a bachelor's in anthropology with a minor in creative writing because I've always been a storyteller. I've been writing poetry since I was in the eighth grade. Um, I've been competing wow. in slam poems from a, slam poetry competitions for a lot of my life. Um, and so writing was a given. Um, and then I went to grad school for biomedical anthropology and I was going to do a PhD and do some research on depression and and the immune system and it was going to be great and then i spent a year in grad school and was like this is the most miserable experience i've ever had in my life oh no i'm, I'm out so i left <laughs> grad school and i had no idea what to do with my life i was like okay i spent the past five years in college and grad school trying to figure out trying to be an anthropologist and now i have no skills. <laughs> uh, and Oops. so I did, I did what any reasonable person in my position would do and learn to code because that made sense to me. <laughs> I, I'm not sure I follow the logic, but I, there's no logic. It, it just I, I think I saw an ad for Udacity and was like, that makes sense. The Lord sent me a sign and that was great. What, that was the sign. Perfect. Um, Hallelujah. <laughs> so I learned how to code. 
Uh, and in this time, I ended up, it took me a couple, like a year or two to really get back on my feet. And I've had some really amazing friends and people I consider family at this point look out for me during that period of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I got a job as a programmer. It was great. Um, so the job was nothing like what I envisioned. And I was really miserable there. So I was looking oh, no. for a way out. And during this time, I picked up Unity as a hobby. Unity, for those who don't know, is a um, game engine that's used to build kind of mostly 2D or mobile experiences, though they Mm -hmm. can do pretty robust 3D experiences. Um, So I started learning Unity, and I was like, man, this is so much fun. Why don't I just do this for a living? And I was like, nah, I can't build games. That's that's not for me. (laughs) And then... But uh, it, during this time, I started watching extra credits and, and Game Maker's Toolkit and a couple other YouTube channels on, on game development just to see if this was even a viable life path. Mm-hmm. And then extra credits did an episode on game schools in, and how to tell like a good school for game development versus a bad one. And I mean, the, the basic gist is like for-profit schools don't trust them. Um, yeah. Make sure okay. they're accredited, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was living in St. Petersburg, Florida at the time. And I was like, you know what? I'll look. If there's a school near me, I'll apply and go. And I'll, I'll take that as a sign. This is what I should be doing. The number two school in the country at the time, now number one, FIA UCF, uh, was in Orlando, Florida. That I just I applied, got in <laughs> on a provisional acceptance, actually, because my grades were bad from before. Yeah. Uh, they were like, hey, you're in, but you mess around and get one bad grade, you're out. And I was like, all right, cool. I'm, I'm, I'm not here to mess around. I'm here to build a career. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a real knack for it. It was game design and programming uh, in particular are the two skill sets necessary for a technical designer. And game design just came naturally to me. I It dawned on me that I've been doing this my entire life when I was, but never in like explicit form. In mm-hmm. college, I designed rules for a LARP uh, in middle school there when, or maybe it was elementary, when Attack of the Clones came out, there were these cereal boxes that gave little Star Wars character portraits. And we Aww. turned that into a card game for fun, me and my, me and my cousin and my brother. That's amazing. Um, yeah, we just did that as kids, right? So I've been doing this for a while, never thought of it as like a career option, just thought it was a fun thing. Uh, and I got into school, did everything I was supposed to. In fact, to my understanding, when I got my first job uh, at EA, um, I never applied to it. What? Uh, Yeah, I never applied at EA. In fact, they called me. And for all intents and purposes, I really shouldn't have gotten the job because uh, they called me at like 8 a.m. And they go, hey, do you want to work on the narrative for Madden? And I'm very tired because it's 8 a.m. And I'm not a morning person. <laughs> so in my sleepiness, I'm like, Madden has a narrative? <laughs> okay, but where's the lie? Turns out they have a really, really, like, thoroughly developed narrative, like, sequence uh, in Madden, like a, a whole story mode. Um, huh. And I later found out when I asked after I got the job, like, how they even knew to contact me. And they went, they went to FIA and got recommendations from the staff on like, you know, which students were excelling and my name got put out there. And so uh, I, I was just very fortunate on that breakthrough <laughs> gig, but I worked really hard to get there and it was a very odd circuitous route, but I, I ended up here. So, so what, so you <clears> said, <throat> um, 
you said programming, like your job as a programmer was not what you expected it to be. And you were like bored, right? Like it was terrible. Mm -hmm. What was different about programming for games that like made you fall in love with it? Sure. Um, so the job I was doing at the time was basically, it was working for a company in St. Petersburg, Florida. Uh, and we were doing like systems for airports uh, that were built on like these legacy code systems and they were just really gross and unfun to work on and a lot of overhead a lot of sh like government regulations I was mm. bored out of my mind um and most importantly I wasn't receiving mentorship or training mm -hmm. to uh, develop my skills as a software engineer um, which I did get through FIA and thankfully every job I've worked in the games industry has always fostered my skills. Uh, but when I when I started programming in Unity, uh, part of it was that direct, that almost like immediate gratification when I make something work and then the character moves and does the thing I wanted him to do. <laughs> that that feeling never goes away as a programmer in games. It feels really good. Um, but also it was... I think just the the logic to work around games was way more interesting. There were more puzzles than uh, execution. And that's what I really loved was solving puzzles. That's really cool. I'd also guess it was, I mean, I would have thought you would have said something about creativity, right? But I, I think that when you have a lot of puzzles in front of you, you're probably having to approach them from a lot of different angles too. So mm -hmm. it's it's a good good brain game. Yeah. And as a programmer, a lot of times you're, it, it's, not seen as a creative field, even though it's probably one of the, like, it's all creative problem solving, no matter where you're at. Mm -hmm. um, and I think games were engaged that in me more than non-game dev jobs. That makes sense. That makes sense. So what were some of the challenges, the barriers that you faced, like trying to get into the industry? I know you said you had a hard time finding work for a while. God, I applied to hundreds of jobs, and this this is one of the sadder things about the game industry. Everyone wants and more experience must have shipped a title. No one wants to train you up, so it's like, okay, I can't get experience to ship a title, but I need a title to get experience to ship a title. It was it was a nightmare. Yeah, um, and it. It was rough. In addition to that, you know, even at FIA, um, I'll never forget this conversation to the day I die. I was talking to one of my professors there, and I'm, I'm not going to say who, um, but I remember talking about like games targeted at Black audiences mm -hmm. and, you know, why you don't see a lot more uh, AAA studios investing in those audiences. And he just bluntly was like, there's no money in it. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, and at the time I actually, you know, I, I, I cheered on it for a little bit. Cause I was like, I, I don't want to dismiss this out of hand. Um, and what, what dawned on me is that he wasn't talking about like his perspective. He was giving me the perspective of a CEO or someone who decides on what games get made. And that stuck with me. Right. Cause I was like, mm -hmm. okay, I'm going into an industry where, you know, black and Latin and LGBT and disabled people are not really thoroughly represented. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the, the chances of me actually getting to tell my story or the stories I'm interested in telling are really low because mm -hmm. I'm not going to have the, the kind of position or authority for a long time to, to make those decisions. Yeah. So why am I doing this? But also it dawned on me, 
if everyone who ever had this thought dropped out of the industry, the industry will never change. Yeah. And so I, I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to be one of, because I know I'm not the one, but one of the many people fighting to change this perception of the industry and this lack of representation and visibility in the industry. So if that's become your mission to you, sort of how, how are you trying to approach doing that? Oh, okay. Um, well, there's a couple of avenues I've, I've engaged in for this. Uh, I'm a very active member in the Blacks in Gaming and Latinx in Gaming communities. Uh, in fact, I'm a community organizer with Blacks in Gaming right now. Uh, we're plan trying to help plan some events to engage more developers uh, of color and mm -hmm. bring them together. Uh, while I was at EA, I was engaged in Somos and Beat, which are their uh, internal organizations for uh, developers of color. Um, so I, I definitely tried to get involved with the community writ mm -hmm. large um, as a means of finding resources, finding like-minded people, and then organizing to engage in these changes uh, in, you know, in our own form of activism uh, within the industry. Um, the other method is by building games in my own time that tell stories that wouldn't get told otherwise. Uh, I'm currently in my spare time working on a hip-hop JRPG, um, <laughs> which is a really fun sentence to tell people about, and uh, I'm really excited to, to represent hip-hop culture uh, mm -hmm. in a way that the games, I don't, you know, if I don't do it, it's gonna, I don't imagine a lot of people are gonna be thrilled. Hip-hop is been a major element in my life for as long as I can remember. Um, you know, when I was in middle school I got, or high school, I got a book, the Tupac's poetry called The Rose That Grew From The Crack In The Concrete. Um, and that book has been with me for a long time. And that's been a big inspiration for a lot of what I do. So I want, I want to give that back to people. Uh, the other way I uh, engage is like, I've in my current role, I've gotten into a position where I can recommend people um oh, okay and get get people in the door right yeah. like that first step into the industry which is the hardest one gets you in front of someone mm -hmm. uh and so i reach out to other game devs of color and i'm like hey look um you know a friend of mine recently i did this for him i was like hey look i think you're a great fit for this position send me your resume i'll get it in front of my boss um and we'll get you an interview and they had an interview recently i don't know how it went but i he got that first stage in right mm -hmm. um so that's the other thing is getting into a position where I can help open the door for more people. That's awesome. What are, what are some of the challenges um, that are sort of unique or different to uh, minorities versus like, you know, your typical like white person trying to get into the industry? <clears throat> um, there are a couple that really float to mind. The first is authority being seen as a knowledgeable figure on something uh you know even in games are a pretty progressive industry right a lot of mm -hmm. liberal very uh forward-thinking people uh but I'll, i see stories all the time about this um like one story that comes to mind is someone said i don't really see you in a senior position to a junior dev uh, at the time and you know it's it's hard to know where that was coming from but it's also mm -hmm. hard to write it off as you know, write off color as a factor in that. Yeah. Um, you know, there's other things like hearing people talk about how to represent a person of color in the game. 
and then just being like, hey, as the resident person of color in the room, I don't think this is what we should be doing. And then, you know, having to argue with, you know, pe- three three white guys and you being the only person who's not, right? Like trying mm-hmm. to explain your lived experience uh, to them to justify why you know what you're talking about. Um, that's that's one of the more unique challenges, but also it's a pipe there's a lot of pipeline challenges um Mm -hmm. and by pipeline i mean the pipeline from school to the industry right like yeah uh most not most but many game devs of colors uh do not find the same opportunity they're not afforded the uh game developers camp in summer school and high school they don't (laughs) get the programming classes in their high school because the Mm -hmm. high school doesn't offer it right like me i didn't think of programming as a career option until I was an adult uh, yeah. and I didn't think of game dev till even further from that um, even though I had the talents for it and I was actively doing it no mm-hmm. one I didn't have the mentorship or the or the um, the parental guidance to be like hey you're good at this try it maybe that's what you should be doing for a living instead I got quite the opposite which is like get off the games go outside so there's a lot yeah. of cultural barriers in there as well that come with being a a game dev of color, I think. That's so interesting. It, I mean, I mean, you're essentially saying that like the system as it is, is discouraging people of color from this career. Mm-hmm. So that's not good. <laughs> Let's <laughs> put, There's a little hope in there, right? The more <laughs> I talk with other game devs of color and like in Blacks and Gaming, a lot of X and Gaming. Uh, actually, a friend of mine just got nominated uh, to the game developer conferences like advisory board and mm-hmm. you know he's a um, uh, he's a game dev of color as well and um, these these like opportunities that people are, are now showing off like hey this is a viable career path I taught uh, a high school lecture on uh, game development and actually engaged some parents to explain why this is a career path that you know you can actually get paid a salary in this field and mm-hmm. you can do something you love and, and give back to the community in these ways. Uh, and once they understood that, that it's, it's a job job, they were like, oh man, maybe, and my, my child likes it. Yeah, we should definitely encourage this. Aww. <laughs> uh, so so it's, it's a little bit like, because nobody's been in those positions, people don't see themselves or their kids, you know, the next generation being in those positions either. Exactly. I have a niece. Uh, she's about 10 years old and uh, she decided she wanted to be a game developer because of me. And she's a talented Aww. artist. Uh, I, I think she would make a great game artist. Uh, she plays like Roblox and Minecraft and to builds things out uh, that I could never do. I, I have no visual art talents <laughs> at all. So, um, but she's super talented and better than me at a lot of things already at 10. Um, and her mom at the time was like, I don't know what to do because I don't understand any of this. Right. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's, it's kind of fallen on my shoulders as someone who is to, you know, get her the right tools, the right games to play uh, that mm-hmm. like there are games that teach you how to code, right. Things like that to encourage yeah. this. Um you know, get her, get her the right resources to read and keep her, keep her safe because she is, you know, very young. Um, mm-hmm. But th- that, that sentiment, right, that I don't understand this. So I, 
don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing is fairly common, especially in, you know, like the community, like the black folk and, and, and Latin American community. It's, it's a, it's a fear. It's a real fear that people have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what, um, so given these pipeline challenges, right, given, given that it's difficult for people to see themselves, especially in these positions of like management or like real power positions in the industry, what specifically do you want to see change? Um, I would like if a lot of hiring managers removed some of these experience requirements from their job, they miss out job descriptions, they miss out on incredible talent all the time, mm -hmm. because that talent hasn't shipped the title that that is to me in this industry, the biggest barrier to entry must mm -hmm. have shipped the title. I, I cannot for the life of me understand why having shipped the title is a requirement to an entry level job. I get it for senior management. I get mm -hmm. it for mid-level positions, right? You want people who know what they're doing at the higher levels. Totally understandable. For sure. It's an entry level job, which means you're not, you're entering the industry. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> it's silly almost. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, the only way you're going to have shipped a title, right, would be if you did it on your own. <laughs> right. And Which goes back to the pipeline problem, right? I, right. As, and this was my thing, right? I went to school for this because I could, if I didn't have financial support to do this, I was not going to be able to do this. Right. Uh, and so school gave me a means to an end by giving me financial aid and the room to learn the skills I needed to do this. Mm -hmm. And and actually at FIA, you, we do produce a whole game and ship it and all of that, right? As part of our, our curriculum. Yeah. Um, and so I had the opportunity to do so in a safe environment. Not everyone is so lucky uh, and mm -hmm. not everyone can take those loans that I like I took out um, or feels comfortable doing so mm -hmm. uh, and most importantly not everyone has the resources to do this on their own some people have kids right mm -hmm. like they get off work and have to feed their kids and clean up the house and take care of their dog or whatever mm -hmm. you don't have the time or energy to also build a game which is a complex beast right um, you well, also don't have all the skills, right? Like I'm not an artist. I can't do art. Right. <laughs> My stick figures have back problems. <laughs> I'm just picturing like Gerari's first game, a text-based adventure, only black and white text mm. on screen. That's it. <laughs> That's, that's the game. No, but I mean, if you think about it, these people are a, a lot of people that might want to get into it. Like they're having to work full time or maybe multiple jobs cobbled together or whatever that situation is just to make ends meet, let alone being able to then outside of that, have the hustle and the time and the energy to do all of those things for themselves, potentially without any support. Like that's, that's nuts. Exactly. And so requiring that as a means to enter this industry is a form of classism really at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Um, and I would love to see those kind of barriers removed. One yeah. solution I've proposed to hiring managers is never write off a resume when you get it, right? But that's a lot of work. So instead, you set up an automated system. You fire back a test, mm -hmm. right? Like, hey, here's a quick here's a quick evaluation. Fill this out. One, anyone who's too lazy to fill that out, you don't want working for you. Correct. And uh, two, uh, it's a great way to assess someone's like knowledge and skills and talent in a very brief period of time and it'll take you just about as long as mm -hmm. you spend on a resume to read the results of that unless someone writes a novel i guess but 
if maybe that's what you want, right? Maybe you're hiring for a narrative position. So who knows? Right, right. Uh, but you know, you can you can have word counts and report restrictions and all that. Like you can set these up so that when someone shoots in an application, instead of filtering them out immediately, you fire back a test and then you parse that test. And there are ways to automate the parsing and look for keywords uh, within it. Uh, and then use that as your selection criteria, right? That becomes a thing okay. you filter people out by and then use the interview to further narrow down your candidates, right? That's kind of, that's a proposal yeah. I, I, I have said to hiring managers before, and I would like to see that widely adopted because I think that would go a lot further for in opening the door for many more developers from underrepresented communities. Yeah, I think that's a great recommendation. Um, and it seems like it should be something that's maybe not simple to implement. It's a little bit of a shift in the way you think, but it's mm -hmm. essentially the same process that people are already using. It's just a slightly different application for it. So that makes a lot of sense. So what advice um, would you give to prospective developers that are trying to get into the industry? Like, let's assume that we're not changing anything right away. Like as it right. stands, what advice would you give these people? Um, I have, the first piece of advice I always give a new aspiring developer um, especially if they're a person of color, um, is ask yourself, is this really what you want to do? And if this is, like, if this is genuinely something you want to do because you love it and because you see an opportunity here, mm -hmm. um, then my next piece of advice usually goes, find other developers in your community, find other developers, whether that's locally or online, find mm -hmm. developers and talk to them. Build those relationships with those developers. Get to know them. I started with a... A uh, woman on Twitter for a little bit uh, who's a narrative designer, and I want to be a narrative designer. And so I started talking to her. I reached out to her randomly on Twitter. I was like, hey, I'm a fan of your work. Um, can you help teach me how to be a better narrative designer? Mm -hmm. and they, you know, sometimes not everyone's going to reply. A lot of people are busy. Some people yeah. don't reply. You, that don't get discouraged there. If this is what you want to do, you'll find someone. Mm -hmm. uh, but in this case, she did. And, uh, you know, I've had her give me notes. I've had her review tests I've taken. Oh, uh, wow. You know, like, especially because a lot of industry and companies won't give you feedback. So mm -hmm. when I got the rejection letter, I was like, hey, can you tell me what I did wrong here? The company's not going to explain it to me, but like, I'd like to know how to better improve on this. And she's been super helpful. And I, I pay the same forward. I recently helped a young man um, go through questions on how to be a designer and what the design interview process is like and what kind of questions he can expect. Mm -hmm. And I gave him some notes and tools that he can use to better himself as a designer, some books to read, that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. And and I like what you said about not being discouraged. I've gotten similar advice to that for other careers, right? Like if you're curious about something and you don't know anything about it, the best thing you can do is talk to someone who does it. And that's so much better than like reading it in a book or trying to go on Reddit and see what are people saying and stuff like that. Like actually just talk to a human, like buy him a coffee and be like, sit down with me for an hour or whatever and let's talk. There's a, a really great community out there um, uh, based on a series of courses from uh, Udemy mm -hmm. and the the courses are all developed by a man named Ben Tristan um, and all of his courses uh, will teach you like Unity, Unreal, C++, C Sharp, oh, cool. the, uh, but more importantly he has a Discord and uh, a community associated mm -hmm. with his classes so you get to interact with other aspiring students and developers who have either taken the course or are currently designing the course uh, and, you know, get real conversations 
That's cool. And when I was starting, that's actually a, a big, when I started learning on uh, Unity for the first time, that's what I did. I, I learned about this community and I was like, yes, let's go for it. Done. And I started talking to people and I was like, yeah, this is all great advice. These are great skills. Let me, let me run with it. Right. Yeah. That's so cool. And I love that there's a community of support. Like you've mentioned, um, like Latinx and gaming, that's an organization, um, mm -hmm. that was just on my last episode actually, um, got, got a mention. So like, there's, it seems like there's other groups out there too, that are trying to put more resources and like help people network and connect with each other. And I think that's beautiful. Well, I think it's time we have to cut to another commercial break. Um, so I'm really enjoying this conversation so far. I think it's been really insightful. I've learned a lot. I hope whoever's listening has learned a lot as well. Um, so when we come back, we're going to talk more about um, advancement in the industry, because that's the other thing that I know um, is needs some love. Let's put it that way. So <laughs> we'll be right back. See y'all in a moment. Get ready to quit the build. Hey, this is Nick from Quit the Build. If you're listening to this, there's a good chance you're into video games. And if you're like me, then you're having a tough time keeping up with all the gaming news coming at you. Our podcast, Quit the Build, is all about condensing the news into an entertaining weekly podcast that never takes more than an hour of your time. Get your gaming news the fun way with Quit the Build with new episodes every Wednesday at quitthebuild.com or wherever you get podcasts. We're back on replay. We're about to hear more from Gerari de Jesus, who's a technical designer at LED Games about um, putting people of color in positions of power in the video game industry. Uh, so Gerari, um, just from your own like observations and experiences, can you talk to me about like, what's the status? What do you, what do you, what have you noticed about minorities in positions of power? Uh, they're few and far between. <laughs> that is, uh, yeah, that is one of the sad parts about it. Um, I think, and this is pure speculation. This this has no scientific backing. This is more observation and mm -hmm. uh, speculation. You know, a lot of people who I see get into higher level positions, they do something pretty kind of rude, but also very clever, in that they jump ship all the time. Hmm. They tend to stay in a job for anywhere between one to three years and then move hmm. somewhere else. And when they do, they get a pay raise and uh, oftentimes an advancement into a position of power or seniority. Mm -hmm. um, and if I had to throw a dart at a wall blankly with like no <laughs> scientific backing, uh, I would wager that there's this cultural expectation that working hard and staying with the company will yield reward. Mm -hmm. That can be true on occasion, but I don't think that's the case in this industry. I, I actually think, at least from the people I see mm -hmm. who are moving into like higher positions, uh, that kind of vertical lateral exchange mm -hmm. is really how you get there quickly. Yeah. Um, you know, and there's of course the the issue you'll run into where it's like okay well the v you know the ceo and the vps and all everyone at the top level is you know toasty uh <laughs> oh my god <laughs> I'm, I'm like i'm looking for for for, for words here um <laughs> you know uh and uh you know the 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 senior as the seniority trickles down you'll start seeing more developers of color um, mm -hmm. and so that is something that I, I think 
only changes when game devs of color are inserted. The best opportunity you can get is by getting inserted into a new studio and building it from the ground up, mm -hmm. right? But that requires resources, that requires funding, that requires a lot of luck and skill, um, mm -hmm. or whatever Fort Minor said. <laughs> so, what are what are some of the barriers um, that might be preventing like people of color from getting the advancement? Like, are they not seeking the opportunities to like move studios, or is it something internal, or like what? It's a mix, right? Uh, some of it is the, the imposter syndrome that a lot of game devs of color, a lot of game devs in general, but particularly game devs of color struggle with. Um, I, you know, like, oh, I'm not good enough, right? Like, I'm not going to apply to that senior position because I have one year less experience than what they're looking for. I promise you someone very mediocre is doing exactly that. Um, yeah. So apply anyway. And then there's, there's also the issue of, like I mentioned earlier, you know, someone has to see you in that position, right? You have mm -hmm. to excel and and kind of go beyond what your peers are doing just to to you know look like you could be a senior. Mm -hmm. uh, and the third thing is, I I think, um, you know, we don't have the luxury as a person as a people of color of just having the mentorship and guidance, and mm -hmm. you know, career paths laid out for us. Um, I have been extremely fortunate in my career uh, to have found people to mentor me and be like, and, you know, kind of drag them over and be like, hey, teach me, teach me. <laughs> teach me your ways, senpai, I need to know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I've been lucky to be in positions where I could do that. Not everyone's so fortunate. Um, uh, but the other thing is, I, I think a lot of people don't know about the communities out there. They don't talk about their salaries. They don't talk about the challenges they face with their coworkers. Mm -hmm. They feel isolated. Uh, and being part of like big and Latinx and gamings has exposed me to a lot of understanding of what I should be making, what level I should be at given the number of years of experience I have, mm -hmm. and what I should be expecting in the next couple of years because I talk to other developers uh, and I have right. a community. Uh, and a lot of developers uh, of color who are who come into the community uh they're like oh man i didn't know this was here and they express thoughts like um oh i didn't know that that's what i should expect right like yeah there was there was no priming on that um and so how, being parts of community can be a big big boon in that regard how do you get into those communities like if you I mean, are they in like are they invite only? Like how do you how do you get your way into this? No. Um I found Blacks in Gaming on Facebook. There's a Facebook group and I was like, I'm joining. I found Latinx <laughs> in Gaming. I went to GDC. There was like a, a talk or like a round table. I just walked in the room, talked to people, was like, cool, I'm here now. <laughs> <laughs> so Girari walks in and invites himself. <laughs> And yeah and no no sometimes but I mean, you have to do that yeah yeah i mean put yourself out there that makes sense that makes sense so yeah. it's it's uh, more it sounds like it's it's sort of like you you had to look and find them yourself right like people aren't putting yeah. them in front of you and i think that's you have to i think people have to know to look and i'm an extrovert and a very social person so i went looking <laughs> not everyone does that but i think if you're the kind of person who doesn't go looking for social interaction, uh, for the sake of your career, my advice would be get out of your comfort zone and mm -hmm. just do it. Reach out to one 
community and just be like, okay, this is like, if, you know, if you want to be in the LGBT community, there's the gamers group, right? Um, mm-hmm. There, if you want, if you're, uh, you know, Latin, there's Latinx in gaming and for Black people, there's Blacks in gaming. There's also a organization and I forget the name of it and I apologize, uh, but they, they're mostly dedicated to uh, Asian Americans in gaming. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's very, and there's various groups for um, people from India, for example, out there. Uh, because there's a big there's a big uh, community out there Um, you know you just have to find them Uh, and that's really the the challenge but Facebook discord Twitter Twitter is your best friend and greatest enemy at the same time Uh, I I love hate Twitter so I feel that (laughs) but Twitter is one of the best ways to find these communities go on the uh, game dev hashtag Uh, uh, another way to find other game devs uh, within your community is to join the game industry's gathering group uh, which has a discord and Twitter community I don't know about Mm -hmm. Facebook I haven't checked Um, but they do a month they used to be weekly I think they're moving to monthly uh, Zoom call uh, with game developers and it goes all day it's jump in jump out oh wow uh, you know talk to people and you'll make those connections uh, when I was living in Chicago I went to a lot of in-person events from IGDA that were uh, which is the International Game Developers Association mm-hmm. um, I went to the those in-person events you know in the before times yeah <laughs> <laughs> and I got to meet people that way so putting yourself out there getting out of your comfort zone talking to people making friends making connections mm-hmm. is the best way to learn not only like more as a developer but to learn w- about what your career should be like or could be like so what are the things do you think we could change in the way that the the industry operates right now like on like business level right that would help um help us advance more people of color the way we do funding for games is pretty rough uh you basically have to have a game to Mm -hmm. get funded uh you have to build the demo and there's really no way around it there Mm -hmm. are some uh funding opportunities for like uh you know pre-production phase games Mm -hmm. uh but those are rare and those are really hard and you have they're very specific for what they're looking for yeah um you know and i think if someone shows the ability to gather a team together even if that team is inexperienced i think investors should be willing to take a chance on original ideas and on games that are going to enhance Mm -hmm. representation uh and you know they they can always i i i don't want to just be like investors need to give people more chances without you know giving investors something uh and i think you know having the ability to pull an ip from the person you're investing in and be like hey you're not living up to your end of the bargain Mm-hmm. you know we're gonna have to give this to a, a competent team or, or even be like hey we're gonna integrate people you're gonna integrate you mm-hmm. with a team that's more experienced yeah um you know i think those kind of opportunities are a little they're tricky to navigate and i think they require a lot of trust and negotiation mm-hmm. um but i think ultimately there can be some sort of compromise that can be found between those two extremes um where it's like hey I, you know i i have a great game concept i have some concept art i have a prototype or i have like you know even just like stick figures yeah or, or blocks and squares moving to show the, the core mechanic of what i want to build upon you know i think if investors could understand blocks and circles uh <laughs> more 
and be willing to take more risks, they would find a lot more originality, reward, and diversity through their portfolios. So do you think um, that the way to, to, I guess, keep advancing people of color, like in the industry, do you feel like that's more of like a small business or like a, like a startup venture sort of thing rather than doing it through these larger companies that are established? I mean, the most notable uh, person in a position of power recently is also probably the only person, there's an uh, Onion article about him uh, when he retired, Regis Fisome, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he's, uh, that's really rare. Like who else does anyone know in that kind of position of authority in Nintendo of America, uh, right? Like yeah. you can't name someone of color that high up. Um, and when you look at companies like Activision, Blizzard, EA, mm-hmm. and all these this like bro culture they've kind of fostered and um, the uh, like just negative environment that people are working in. I don't think we want to jump into those studios and perpetuate the same misgivings. So I I do think starting out with business ventures or working with mid-sized studios you know, mm-hmm. where you can make a bigger impact. I don't think these AAA uh, studios uh, are the way to go to get more game developers in the industry because a lot of times you do just end up a cog in the, in, in the, the machine and, you know, you're, you'll have a career development path with like a five-year mm-hmm. plan or whatever, a lot of structure, HR and all that. Uh, so you do have security. Um, mm-hmm. But like the, the road to advancement is much more difficult there. And it's, and get you're not going to, you're, it's going to be very difficult to get to that VP position where you can actually make decisions that impact the culture in those yeah. bigger studios. Uh, but in a mid-size and smaller studio, you have a lot more opportunity to shape uh, the way people interact with the culture there. That makes a lot of sense. Is you, And you've worked at both large like and small studios, right? Like you've mm-hmm. worked at EA and then I think Elodie is pretty small, isn't it? Yeah, we have, uh, I think somewhere between like 15 and 30 people it's pretty small oh my god Um, yeah it's 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 small and it's cool right because I've had the opportunity I've been able to like get people in the door uh Mm -hmm. here in a way I've I don't really have in larger studios Mm -hmm. I've been able to get people recommended get them in front of interviewers Uh, I've been able to shape the culture I've been able to have very candid conversations with my boss about diversity and about what that means to me personally Mm -hmm. uh versus in, in addition to what it means to the studio and the culture they're in. And granted, Elodie has been one of the best companies I've ever worked for. They really care about this kind of stuff. It's, it's mm-hmm. you know, the CEO and the CEO are very passionate believers in cultivating a diverse culture. Oh, that's um, awesome. And so it's wonderful working there. Uh, you know, but even like at uh, Scopely, which is a mid-sized uh, pr- uh, production machine, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, w- I, I saw more opportunities for advancements and connection and uh, than I did working at EA. Um, and so I do think there is something to be said for the, the smaller the studio, the more opportunity, the less, but also you trade that for security, right? So. Yeah, yeah. So it's lots of things to, to weigh and consider. Um, what, uh, what recommendations do you have for um, individuals that are already in the industry for, um, how they can like seek out advancement for themselves and how they can sort of like advocate for themselves. Sure. Um, the first thing I, I would say is 
just speak out. Don't be afraid of retaliation. Uh, a lot of people are afraid of burning bridges. Um, so I would be less concerned with saying, oh, I sought advancement and got kind of put on a blacklist, right? Because that's not, mm -hmm. that doesn't really, like that does happen, but it's not the, the norm. Yeah. Um, you know, instead I would be like, oh, if they don't see me advancing, find someone who does. Go apply, move. And especially now, this is probably the best time to do it because everyone is remote now. Yeah. Uh, you know, before you'd have to uproot your life and move and start over. Mm -hmm. Now you can just be like, hey, I'm working from home no matter what. So I can work for you or I can work for this other person who values me more. Um, yeah. And uh, I think you, that that shift towards virtual workspaces is really been a huge benefit for game devs of color to find the opportunity to advance themselves. That's awesome. That's awesome. I, I love that, like, I mean, this is the whole when life gives you lemons thing, but like when, when the world throws a whole pandemic at you, there's some good that has come out of it too, <laughs> a little bit, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, absolutely. I'm no stranger to that. Uh, I was when I was working that casino gaming job in Chicago, mm -hmm. uh, the pandemic started, they let a bunch of us go, myself included, I had nowhere to go. I was freaking out. And then I got yeah. the job of Scopely working on Marvel, right? Like, right, right. It, it was Which... awesome. And I wouldn't be able to do that. <laughs> because I was under contract with uh, scientific games, there's a studio, mm -hmm. they helped relocate me. And they're like, if you leave before the two years mark is up, you got to pay back that money that we used to relocate you. Uh, so uh, I was stuck there okay. for two years, but then the pandemic hit like six months in and I was like, cool, they let me go. So I didn't have to pay them anything. So, well, that's kind of nice. <laughs> when life gives you lemons, throw them back at your oppressors or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> that's definitely, that, 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 definitely the saying. I 100% can see that on a t-shirt. Well, I think uh, this, this, conversation has definitely given me a lot of things to think about, especially as a person that's interested in the industry. And I want to see it, you know, move forward and be healthier for all of us so that we can all have better gaming experiences across the board. Right. Um, so, uh, so thank you so much for sharing your perspective, um, and your experiences with all of us today. Uh, so now it is actually time we have to, we have to wrap up for, for the day. Um, are there any final, uh, any final message that you want to get out there to the listeners right now? Yeah, I, I know a lot of the industry can seem sad and depressing and, uh, you know, like there's no hope, but honestly, I think if we all give up, then there is no hope. Uh, the best thing we can do is fight against that. Or as one of my favorite poets said, you know, rage, rage against the dying of the light. Um, I, I really believe that the more people who come into this industry who say, I'm not going to stand for this traditional way of thinking and I'm going to be a part of that change, the better mm -hmm. of an industry we have and the more progressive we can be as a whole. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, if you're also, it's the coolest thing to do. You know how <laughs> many people are like, hey, you build video games? That's awesome. It's so many cool points right <laughs> up the gate to tell people. I have a, uh, a friend who's just like, oh, you worked on Madden. That's the coolest thing ever. I'm like, I don't even like football that much, but you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Um, and so I, I think if, if this is a thing you want to do and you're willing to fight for it, um, and that is, not, that is not for everyone. For some people, they just want to kick mm -hmm. back and 
you know, enjoy, go to work and then go home and live their life. And that's totally respectable. That's totally fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the industry for you. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that either. Yeah. Uh, but if you're, if you're willing to, to, you know, fight for the, the, th- the change you want to see in this industry, you should do mm-hmm. it. Uh, and come talk to me. We'll, we'll make it happen. Awesome. Awesome. I'm so glad that there's people in the industry like yourself that are um, so focused on just making it a better environment and trying to get more people in the door, you know, at least to that initial interview, right? So that they they're making connections and maybe they don't get the job, but they've met someone and Mm -hmm. that's step one. So um, I think that you've given a lot of really good advice today um, for people that are interested in the industry and hopefully for those of us that play games, a little bit of an insight into man, how crazy complicated it is to just get the people in the door to make the game that we're just, you know, playing on our couches. Like, exactly. <laughs> it's so much more complicated than I imagined. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, thank you so much for sharing your perspective on all of this and sharing your insights with us. I really appreciate you coming on my show. Anytime. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, look forward to hearing this on my car later. Thanks for listening. I'll be back again soon with another episode. You can find episodes of Replay and all other Victor Media Group podcasts at victormediagroup.co. Replay is a VMG original and is created, hosted, and produced by Clara Mount. The show's executive produced by J.B. Adams and Gerard Mitchell with sound design by Anna Hughes and original music by Bison. It's the mission of Victor Media Group to make the world a better place by making ourselves better people. If you like this show, follow Victor Media Group on your favorite social channels and check out Bison's other tunes on Spotify, Bandcamp, and SoundCloud. Extra special thanks to all my listeners for hanging out with us today. Keep on playing and remember, you're always welcome at this game table.